I think it's finally dawning on them how to go about this game without the kind of the defined goal of getting gold, killing monsters and increasing in level. And I think it's, it's dawning on them, like how freeing that is to them to not have to be so concerned with their own power level. Jay's gonna bring me back. Give me a plus one to attack. Oh, 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 I want to come back to the dice. Whoa, oh, 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 I think I need some good advice. I need a roleplay rescue. Oh, yeah. I need a roleplay rescue. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hello Rescuers, my name is Che Webster and this is Roleplay Rescue. Today is the last in a series of conversations I shared over the period between the seasons with some of the most creative gamers I know. My guest today is a fellow podcaster and perhaps one of the nicest and most mellow souls I have had the privilege to meet. We sat down to talk a little about the classic Traveller roleplaying game, especially since at the time... I was reapproaching the old black box set for a possible SF campaign that I'm still desperate to create. This conversation inspired many elements in the project that has arisen from it, and I thank Bob hugely for making me think about Traveller in fresh ways. Big thank you upfront to Bob for coming onto the show, and I hope that you'll find this as illuminating as I did. This is season 11, episode 9 Traveller with Bob Loftin. Bob Lofton is the co-host of Safeco Podcast, a podcast about the Traveller role-playing game and its derivatives. Safeco stands for Super Adventure Friends Company, the tongue-in-cheek name for the members of Bob's group decided to give the company their characters formed for their classic Traveller campaign, Into the Void. Bob keeps a log of the games on his blog, Concrete Lunch Gaming, and the chap's adventures have kept me entertained since I first came across them in 2019. Describing himself as a librarian, Aikidoist, and skateboarder, Bob hails from Texas, USA, and has generously agreed to talk to us today. Welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us, Bob. Hi, thanks, Jay. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to do this. I've, I'm used to being on the other end of the podcast and having to produce, so it's really great to just be able to get on and talk and then go do something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love it, isn't it? You know, you, I've got the five hours of editing and you've not got that. That's all good. I do podcasting at work as well. So I spent most of yesterday um, editing tiny, tiny gaps and conversations out so that guests would feel that they sounded just fantastic you know on the on the podcast yeah and it's it, I've, I've gotten really good at deep faking podcasts. <laughs> All right, Bob. Well, thank you. And um, let's just get started with the background. Let's get the backstories. How did you get started with role-playing games? The story is pretty common, I think. Um, I had some friends who were into it. And when I'm I'm 57 years old, I'm Mm -hmm. soon to be 58. When I was, uh, I think, in in ninth grade, um, the skateboard park that was near us shut down. And... um, I figured skateboarding was over and my friends had been, I'd heard them talking about Dungeons and Dragons and I had no idea what they were talking about. So these were all guys in the neighborhood. They say, I think I'd like to check this out. They said, okay, cool. Come on over Saturday. All right, cool. So I I showed up Saturday. I rolled up a character, roll your exceptional strength. You rolled 18 for strength. Okay, cool. 18 double zero first character. Yeah, awesome, right? It's dead in five minutes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was really kind of my introduction to gaming. We were 15, I think, and the guys had probably been playing for about a year before I did. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's how I got into it. You know, this was 1980. Mm-hmm. There weren't 500,000 games out there. <laughs> no, not yeah, at all. There were, there were a few, really. Mm-hmm. But it was, I just found it pretty fascinating. And it was also very free too, because um, I I am not a terribly competitive person, and I probably because whenever I play a board game, I always lose. Right. I like 
there's this Will Wheaton joke that he makes about like he loses every game. That's me. Like I will never win a board game. <laughs> but with with RPGs, as long as I'm alive, I'm good. So yeah. I really enjoyed that quite a lot. And it was a chance for creativity. I liked to draw things like that. Mm. And uh, so I was immediately drawn to to DMing as well. Mm. As soon as I thought I had figured out what was going on. So what was the journey from D&D towards games like Traveller? And I believe you played a lot of other stuff, like eventually landing with GURPS, if I, if I remember correctly. Our D&D group, um, we, we mostly played D&D. Uh, but one, one night, one of the guys called and said, hey, you want to play Traveller? I said, what's that? And they said, well, it's a space game. It's like D&D, but it's with space. And I said, okay. So walked two doors down to the house where we played. And one of the guys shows up and he's got this little black box. Mm-hmm. Like wow, this, what is this? Because it was so different from the the big D and D books. They didn't really explain things to me too much. They just said, "Here's your characteristics. Roll, write down these characteristics. Roll two dice. That's your and we rolled skills and everything, and we played. And I'm not sure our our game master, our referee, actually knew the rules that well, mm-hmm. <laughs> but n- no one else did either. So everything was fine. But uh, we, that's how I got into Traveler. And then when I got a look at the books, um, there's something about those little black books. I don't know if you had the same experience, but very little in the way of illustration. I showed them to a friend recently, and he said, these things look like technical writing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but it, I, it was fascinating because as a 15 year old, when you're looking through this, these books, then you look at the starship book and you look at this, the vector combat and you're looking at it. Like, wow. They make you feel smart. Yeah. <laughs> Even if you don't really understand, they make you feel smart. And then, um, so that was my introduction and our games were probably very typical games that 15 year olds play. Mm. Um, Star Wars was you know, in the middle of its uh, first set, set of movies. And we made up weapons and uh, every game was just a murder fest, but we had a good time with it. Hmm. And, and, you know, that's really what matters. Um, and then I guess, you know, Traveler was always kind of a backup for us because without a character uh, advancement system of really any consequence, I can't speak for all the guys, but I always kind of felt like I enjoyed the Traveler games. But while we're playing Traveler, aren't we wasting our time? Because we could be advancing our D&D characters. Right. Um, so it was. I think it, we kind of viewed it as a backup game. Mm-hmm. The next game that I really got into, though, uh, was probably in 10th grade Champions. The first Champions book came out and the same guy who had the Traveler books showed up with Champions. And I'm looking through this like, this is amazing because you can design your own character mm. and, I, the po- and it was it was not a huge book but it really made sense it was well structured and, and it was easy to understand how to build a character mm. the rules were very consistent throughout the system mm. and the great thing in my mind was it was a comic book game mm. i loved comics and also there was uh, an assumption that characters are not supposed to die very often. And the, the brilliance of that game was the delineation between stun damage and body damage. So it really, it like, I had looked at villains and vigilantes before, Mm -hmm. um, but it had a hit points. You lose all your hit points. You're dead. And like champions like, wow, it's just like, you see the cover of a comic book and the villain standing there like that and all the unconscious superheroes at his feet. And like, I can see how this would work in this game because it's super easy to knock someone out, but a lot harder to kill them. Yeah. So um, probably the rest of high school champions was it. Like Mm. we played champions all the time Mm -hmm. and we, we really left traveler behind GURPS. I think after I got out of college, my, my college roommate, when I showed up in, in our dorm room, it was random, supposedly random. This guy had a box with every RPG that existed at the time. So I know that they put us together because of that common interest. Mm-hmm. So we played a lot of champions. After we got out of college, he called me and said, hey, I got this 
I got GURPS. Come check it out. So that was my introduction to GURPS. Yeah. We were out of college and we were trying to, you know, make our way in the world. He was working on a PhD and I was just trying to scratch out a living. And, you know, we really did, we played maybe once or twice. We didn't really play very much, but it was an introduction to that. And I bought the books. I bought some supplements. Um, my favorite supplement for GURPS at the time was the wild cards supplement right. of the, the wild cards novels by uh, George RR R. Martin, right? There were, they call them mosaic novels. So there's kind of an editor of the novels and separate science fiction authors would write different chapters and everything was kind of put together into a continuity. I read another, I, well, I didn't read it recently, but I went back and I, I listened on audiobook to the first couple. Mm -hmm. um, didn't hold up well. <laughs> <laughs> There's some really edge lordy stuff in some of these old books, you know, like mm -hmm. by today's standards, you're like, ah, maybe really, mm -hmm. do you really think you, that was a good idea? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, so that was my introduction to GURPS. And then um, I got married and uh, again, was trying to like have a life and get started in life. And the year before we went to grad school, my wife and a friend were interested in learning to play D and D and second edition was out. And uh, there is a, a chain of bookstores here in the U S at least in Texas called half price books, big mm -hmm. used bookstore chain that was like a block from our house. So I, I walked over and I picked up all of the second edition stuff mm -hmm. and I ran second edition for them for maybe six months before we started grad school. Mm -hmm. And then put gaming away again until about uh, the end of 2014. Right. Yeah. So I, I think a lot of people must have that experience where they're there. They played as a kid and then you're trying to get your life started and, you know, gaming's a time consuming hobby. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very hard to just dabble in gaming. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Anyway, that 2014, um, an old high school friend who I had occasionally gamed with his group, um, all the other guys still lived here in town, and we had moved back here to where I grew up. Mm -hmm. This guy, William, moved back, and that kind of rekindled the desire to game. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think also a lot of us were at a place in life where we felt like we had the time and, mm -hmm. and resources to to do it again. Um, you know, so that's, that's how that started. <laughs> Am I right in saying that, you know, Safeco is a bunch of buddies from high school that you kind of re got the band back together, really? Right? It, it is. Um, so these are, these were not my primary gaming group when I was in high school. They were, uh, guys I knew from school that were mm -hmm. also into gaming and I ran champions for three or four, I think three of these guys a few mm -hmm. times. And I mean, we talked about gaming in school. We're all friends. Uh, Jeff, my podcast partner, however, um, I went to a big high school. I knew of Jeff. We had mutual friends. I didn't really know him that well until mm -hmm. we, uh, we got this group together and he had connected with me on Facebook. And so he, he joined the group, uh, probably in about 2014. Um, I was visiting my, my sister-in-law and her family up in, in Boston. Mm. And I was watching my 14 year old nephew play Minecraft. Right. And he was playing it online with uh, a couple of friends and they had FaceTime windows open for each of them. And Alex had designed this thing for them to explore. And mm. I was watching him and of course, I had to close my eyes a lot because the way kids move through Minecraft is just, you know, it'll just induce a seizure in you. <laughs> <It's> like, oh, <laughs> stop. <laughs> Can you slow down, please? <laughs> um, but after he did that, I was talking to him that night. And I said, you know, what you're doing is what my friends and I used to do with pencil and paper and dice when we played Dungeons and Dragons. Mm -hmm. And he goes huh, I've heard of that. And I think at that time, fifth edition had come out. I didn't even know it had come out. Mm -hmm. I was that disconnected from everything. So 
I got up the next morning and he started asking me all these questions. And it was clear that he had stayed all night up all night reading articles about Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> on the internet. So I, I try to be the best uncle I can. Mm -hmm. <laughs> got home, I got on Amazon, I sent him the starter set and I sent him all three of the books okay. and, and some, some dice. Mm. And I think what happened is um, that just kind of got me thinking about gaming again. And mm -hmm. William had moved back to town and he had posted some stuff with this great homebrew D and D setting that he had created, but he had, we had not played it. It's something that he had mm -hmm. run for friends probably back in the nineties. Mm. And I started thinking about um, what, what do I want to run? Like if I get these guys together, what do I want to do? Cause I didn't really want to run D and D I'd done it a million times and I liked GURPS. And so I thought, let's try cyberpunk mm -hmm. homebrew. What well, I guess basically everything in GURPS <laughs> <laughs> pretty much um, yeah. uh, with a few exceptions. Um, we, we started playing a, a cyberpunk campaign and that got me thinking more and more about gaming, my history in gaming and what mm -hmm. I liked. And I just really had this um, sudden fascination with traveler mm -hmm. and I think I wrote about it on my blog at one point. And then maybe a year later, I finally, I ordered the black box from some guy on eBay mm. and I got it and I talked to the guys and none of them had ever played. Mm -hmm. They had a bunch of them had owned the game, but as kids, they couldn't figure out what the hell to do with it. <laughs> you know, you know so there's no monster manual. What, what do you do with this? You know, and, there, and you get the books and there's, there's no aliens in here. What do you do with this? And there's no blasters and this and that. Mm. Well, I, you know, I started thinking about it and the guys were up for it. I said, do you want to guess when it, why don't we try a limited campaign? Just mm. let's play like three or four, five, six sessions, something like that. Mm -hmm. and, okay, cool. And now that was four and a half years ago. <laughs> That's the way it goes. And yeah, well, um, we don't play the, the goal is to play every month, but we have not come anywhere close to that. We're about four and a half in, and we, I think we just had session 23. Mm -hmm. At least we're still playing. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, in those four and a half years we've had in our, in our personal lives, all of us have, have had a lot happen mm -hmm. and he's like, okay, somebody's parent is sick. Let's, we're going to put it on hold for three months or, you know, stuff like mm -hmm. that. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that, I guess is short, relatively short history. That's good. Well, that starts, you've answered the question of why you opted for Classic Traveller, um, which is great. So, I mean, obviously, four and a half years playing, what's made it kind of work out as a good choice for you then? I mean, you've got your own Into the Void campaign. As I understand it, it's sort of using all the Traveller-like names, but not the Traveller official universe. It's your own thing. Um, so, you know, yeah. how's that worked out? Why has that worked out well for you? Well, using Classic Traveller... Um you know, people look at that and they're like, what do you do with this? That like the starship combat uses vectors. This looks like really mathy and I don't like this. <laughs> it's actually really simple. Mm. You know, I mean, you've, you've looked at it. It's it, character generation, very simple. Mm -hmm. um, combat rules are very simple. Starship combat. I would say my guess is that 90% of players ignore the starship combat and do something else. Mm -hmm. Um, which is okay because it was created by somebody who uh, designed war games in the seventies. You know, I mean, he did what he knew and traveler was really the first attempt at uh, what was potentially a large scale science fiction role-playing game. Mm. I'm not sure if metamorphosis alpha came out before traveler. I can't remember, but that was in a contained, it was in a, it was in a single sh gigantic ship. Mm. Um, so when people talk about Traveler not including this or that, I'm like, yeah, but look, it's in three little books, man. And you've got an imagination. You can use it. What was your question again? <laughs> what makes it a good choice? But um, okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, just to kind of butt in on that, actually, you're right. I mean, when, I mean, I started playing Traveler. I mean, the first role-playing game I played was Traveler. Um, my friends got the you know the game we probably got it about 79 something like that i think games workshop was republishing the 77 edition in the uk and that's where i've got mine from um and 
we yeah we rolled up characters and we played and we basically shot up stuff i remember fondly <laughs> creating animals using the uh, book two is it or book i can't remember which book uh, book three is it? Book, book three yeah you yeah. got all the animal creation like the little tables or whatever that you roll on to find out what you know basic size of the creature and what type it is and all that stuff i remember fondly mucking about with that um yeah you know uh, and it was uh yeah, you had to figure it out but essentially uh, it does take you through a kind of a process because i think what what we enjoyed was that there is this kind of procedure you know, series of procedures that you followed and you, you know your your referee made some a subsector and off you go you know so for me it was always like natural this is how role playing is done, and then of course I came across D and D and other games later and realized that it totally wasn't. <laughs> right. Well, the thing about those all the those charts and uh, systems in in Traveler for generating random worlds, mm. creatures. Mm. Um, I mean, how else are you going to approach, the, you know, a role playing game that's supposed to cover? a gigantic area of space. I mean, it's a tiny speck really in an overall galaxy, mm-hmm. but I mean, obviously it's, it's huge. Um, and it's just, um, it's very creative. And I don't, have you ever heard Mark Miller actually talk about the, the value of these random tables? I haven't actually. So, I mean, I, I don't want to try to speak for Mark, but, I, I mean, I've heard him. I've heard him talk about this a number of times, and just to kind of paraphrase, he'll say, "Well, with planet generation, sit here and t- and make up a planet. Tell me a planet. You know, well, a desert planet. Okay. Tell me another. Okay. It's an ocean planet. Okay. Tell me another. It's a planet where it storms all the time, and and the the atmosphere is bad. Okay. But a single person is going to." their imagination is going to eventually run dry mm-hmm. or they're going to tend toward one thing mm-hmm. and those random planet tables, they will result in planets and systems that initially don't seem to make any sense. Mm-hmm. And so your job as the referee is to make sense of those. And it, it's really a spark for your imagination mm-hmm. to come up with something really weird. And I think the same thing can be said, like of the, the creatures, like, you know, I remember, you know, trying to use those random tables and it's like, oh, okay, guy, awesome. The guys are running into some creatures <clears throat> and I roll it up. It's like, okay, oh, great. They're, they're herd animals that aren't aggressive. <laughs> how, how interesting is this? going? Like, okay, guys, off in the distance, you see something that looks kind of like cows. Okay, great. That's exciting. <laughs> you know, so, like, I didn't have what it took to make it an interesting game at that point I'm like well, okay i think i could do it now hmm. yeah another reason it, it, that it's been successful for us i think is because it's easy to show up and play hmm. it's a it's it's hard i've heard your your talks about game prep and everything prepping for a game and getting ready is a lot of work hmm. and it's a system i already knew and i could dive right in and uh as much as I love GURPS, I can't get my head past the idea that for every NPC, I need to fully design the NPC. Like, I feel like I'm quote unquote cheating if I just <laughs> say, okay, th- you, you know, like, I feel like mm-hmm. I've got to create a full record sheet for everything, which isn't the case with GURPS. You don't have to do that. And you're insane if you try. Mm. Uh, you're either insane or you have the writing capacity of christopher right like Mm -hmm. (laughs) christopher rice can write and write and write um but with travelers like you know a few numbers just a little a little a little description goes so far in the game Mm -hmm. and yet there's enough there that you feel like you're playing a game and just just not writing down some stuff and just sitting around talking Mm -hmm. So it's been a, for, for me as a game master, in some ways, it's very low impact. I would say the majority of my time as game master isn't spent creating NPCs or maps or whatever. It's trying to be creative enough to make the campaign interesting mm-hmm. with, without repeating myself over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, there's that trope, you know, like in travelers, like the, the trope of the patron is huge. Mm-hmm. Like, 
And so like, but every game to me, like you would end up having fun, but as a game master, I feel lazy if every series of games <laughs> starts out, you're approached by an old lady in a bar who offers you a hundred thousand credits to retrieve blah, blah, blah. You know, like yep. it, it's because uh, it, it has to be interesting and engaging for me too. Mm. So I spend a lot of time trying to think of interesting new kinds of scenarios unlike other games i've played like D, my group of players now don't murder everyone they meet <laughs> good yeah so well the beauty of it is now that they they have potential allies that maybe they've shown some mercy to mm. and so for for me a long campaign the beauty now is that okay i can use those characters as as uh, loose ends in in future sessions mm -hmm. or i don't know maybe the guys get into a fix and i don't want them to die and one of those non-player characters shows up by surprise hey, i saw you guys and, and helps them you know mm. um it it really opens up a lot of possibilities um mm. traveler has given me a much greater appreciation of the value of non-player characters i think mm -hmm. yeah yeah and have you kind of graduated belong beyond a single subsector or has like you know 10 by 8 been enough 10 by 8 has been enough but it, it's it it spanned more than one subsector mm -hmm. because the first subsector i created um in in our campaign they're at the edge of charted space mm -hmm. uh at the at the border and so the subsector that they started in, about half of it is in known space. And, and it, it, the subsector hasn't even been named mm -hmm. at this point. And the other half is past the border. And yeah. so they've, they've gone across in, into unknown space, had some adventures. They've done some stuff in known space. Mm -hmm. But it, you know, they, they haven't been to, like, to that many planets at this mm -hmm. point. Some of the advice I read before I started this really helped because when you're starting a traveler game and it says roll up the subsector, that can be daunting. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's like, oh, because in that subsector, you may have 10, 15 systems, mm -hmm. maybe more. I don't know. And sure, you roll up the characteristics of each world, and it, but it's just a string of, of numbers and letters. And so you've got to sit and figure out what is what do these mean for all of these worlds and you've never even played or or run run traveler maybe. So what I did is I um I did roll up those worlds but I only really detailed a, this world that they started on and mm -hmm. a, a few others and um it is potentially a sandbox campaign, mm. but to get them started, I really, I gave them very specific missions. They had a patron, they had a series of four, five, six adventures out in the unknown. And then they came back and, you know, they've done some other things, but the, the advice I, I was alluding to is people say, keep it small initially. And I think, I mean, I've, I think I've read that for like homebrew Dungeons and Dragons or really anything because mm. it, it can be overwhelming to try to create an entire world or a whole universe, you know, just start small with what they're going to do. Like I told somebody the other day, or maybe I wrote it on one of my online babblings that, you know, your character's out on the fringe of known space maybe it's not important what the emperor had for breakfast that morning to them, <laughs> you know, like you don't need to, all they need to know is that the emperor is there um, mm. somewhere a, a long way away. The reason I don't use the third Imperium setting, there's a couple. One is that, have you ever looked at traveler map? Yeah. Yeah. So amazing resource on online where it's mm. like the known universe all charted out, et cetera, et cetera. But I felt weirdly constrained by that. <laughs> yeah, 11,000 worlds. And yet I always have the feeling of like, what do I do with that? You know what I mean? Right. Or 11,000 worlds and they're all known. Mm. 
like, and I was interested in doing something with the unknown. I wanted my characters to be able to really explore the unknown. Mm. Um, and, you know, in retrospect, obviously, the fact that there are 10,000 worlds doesn't mean that every one of them is really that well explored or even mm. everything's been discovered. But I wanted to put them on the on the fringes of of the known uh, universe, or known mm. galaxy and and just have total freedom to do that. And uh, I'm a little lazy about like I'm not a lore guy, as they would might say these days, like mm -hmm. the lore is I, I think the third Imperium stuff is really cool. It's more sophisticated than anything that I would ever come up with, mm -hmm. but I'd still rather use my own stuff because I enjoy the process, mm -hmm. even if it's like not as good. <laughs> the, the, maybe the players still have a good time. Yeah, well, I mean, this is a subjective thing anyway, isn't it, right? And of course, I think with our own creations, the other thing is that there's a sense of control that comes with that and understanding that comes with that. My problem with the official travel universe is just like, where the heck do I start? And will it ever end? Um, it's right. just overwhelming, um, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've, you know, I've listened to maybe not all of your episodes, but I, it's a re your, your podcast is one of the few that I actually listen to. And... I know you've talked a lot about campaign duration and, mm -hmm. and the challenges of coming up with ideas. And um, I understand the feeling of you didn't use these words, but like you can feel kind of paralyzed as the game master and like mm -hmm. trying to figure out what, what the heck to do or losing interest in the campaign. But I, I haven't really had the, the problem of losing interest in this. I think that's the kind of beauty of science fiction is it can be anything, mm. you know, like, um, if the guys said, you know what, we really want to become bureaucrats, we could do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, or we want to explore the unknown. Or one of my players was saying, you know, we were talking about this, the whole, the whole nature of this game and role playing games is William. And he said, uh, you know, they, they did some adventures on a planet that had some aliens that look like uh, ele elephants mm. and pachyderms. And they were inspired by uh, a novel by, Robert Silverberg. Mm -hmm. And William said, well, the truth is in this game, if we wanted to, we could just go back and we be could become freedom fighters for the pachyderms. Like, yes, you could, like you could do that. Mm. And even, so I would, I try like, if I'm, I'm offering them story hooks mm. and I have stuff prepared, but I try to have modular things prepared also. But if they went back to that planet, we, we know that planet quite well, they could totally do that. Hmm. And I think at this point, after 23 games, none of these guys really having played Traveler before, I think it's finally dawning on them how to go about this game mm -hmm. without the kind of the defined goal of getting gold, killing monsters and increasing in level. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's dawning on them, like how freeing that is to them to not have to be so concerned with their own power level. Mm -hmm. It's nice to be able to dangle that carrot in front of players. And it's like, oh, well, you know, you're going to increase in power and level. And, and it's, I'm playing in a 5e campaign now and it's fun, man. Like, mm -hmm. but um, as game master with the Traveler game, it's been very freeing to me because from the first game, I never had the feeling I had to give them opportunities to increase their character's power level so that we could quote, have some real fun, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you start and you're, you're ready to go. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that's a cool thing about the game. I think. Yeah. I, I always remember, I mean, this is the thing that when we started playing D and D back in the day, you know, having played traveler for a long, long while um, it was kind of weird kind of leveling up um, yeah. this I mean, you know, Traveller uh, has this thing where you you kind of just annual, I think it's annual, isn't it, in Classic, where you just kind of make a roll and see if you, like, increase a skill, and that's about it. But the reality is that when you've rolled those 2d6 six times, you've got a character. And, yeah. of course, then you start the game with what most people think of as a character creation system is actually the first bit of the game where you, you take your character through their early career and yeah then they retire and then the game begins yeah um and and that is is unique i think within the hobby i don't 
you know there are life path games out there but there's nothing quite like that which says you know hey we're all retirees <laughs> let's get out there you know right retire retired at 38 now i've got some life yeah. left in me let's go get yep. killed in on a planet someplace instead of mm-hmm. relaxing yeah uh that's all true um the you you start as an experienced character mm. and the i mean the advancement system in those little black books is rough, man. It's, you know, I think there it's a little bit more complicated than this, but you, over the course of four years in the game, your character picks one or two skills that they're working on. Right. And I think Mark and they take correspondence courses. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, you, you pick a couple of skills. Then after four years in game, you can make a commitment role. Mm-hmm. And if you make the commitment role, then I can't remember if it's the, that, that skill is increased by one immediately, or it might increase by one. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, but it's not automatic, you know, like just because you studied for four years, <laughs> it's not it's like, and that's a, that's a lot of play, man. Like mm-hmm. we've been playing in, real world time for four and a half years and our characters are just coming up on one year of in-game time mm-hmm. so i just recently told the guys look bump your skills up you mm-hmm. you we've been playing a long time and it might be different if we played on a weekly basis but we don't so those two skills that you've been trying to increase bump them up it's permanent and then pick two more skills to be working on and uh, you know what? At, I was on another podcast uh, recently, RPG Ramblings, and mm-hmm. Jeffrey said, "Yeah, you know what? If you if you bump them up to you know admin too, that's not going to blow up the game." <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. Yeah. So um, and and also, of course, the characters don't they don't get harder to kill. No. I mean, you know, like I mean, maybe you pick up some battle armor or something that makes you harder to kill, but you're not increasing hit. In fact, if you go by those books past a certain age, every four years, your character has to roll to see if one of their physical traits decreases because mm-hmm. they're aging. Yeah. So you get weaker as you go. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So when we, I pitched out you coming on and chatting, I asked you like, you know, let's just talk a little bit about why it's a good choice. So, you know, you've been playing now for four years. So tell us, you know, um, I know you've alluded to all sorts of things in this conversation, but why would you suggest if I was going to start a science fiction campaign today, why might Classic Traveler be a really good choice for that? For one thing, if, if you're if you're into, as they say these days, the lore, mm. um, I'm not sure there's any system except maybe D&D that has such a well-developed lore. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's rich and it's deep and it's been, and it's been created over the span of, of many, many years. So you've, you've really got that to draw on. Um, there are a lot of different versions you can, you can choose from. If you're, you know, if you started with the little black books, you may want to continue with them. There's Mongoose Traveler. There's Cepheus Engine, which was, is a, an open gaming license version of essentially it's mongoose traveler first edition. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's, it's gone beyond that now and it's really its own thing. But you know, when you play it, you're, you're playing traveler. Mm-hmm. It's, it's um, very similar. So that's one reason. Um, if you don't like lore, you've got all these tools for random generation that you can use and use your imagination. It's just very, it's very open-ended. It's not chock full of tons of rules, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But as I, as I said earlier, there's enough that you're actually playing a game and not just sitting around with your friends, making a story up. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess technically that's kind of what you're doing anyway, but I don't actually think of my game that way. And I know this is very popular to think of, you know, we talk about collaborative storytelling and RPGs. Mm. I still think of it as a game. Mm. And when I'm designing the game, I'm designing problems and, and scenarios and situations for the characters to navigate. And there's a way to get, to get through those. 
that I've thought of. Maybe they come up with an idea that is creative and it works, but I think of it primarily as a game. And then the story emerges from the game. Mm. And, and, and I love that. Like, you know, I write all of those sessions up like a story. I, mm-hmm. I love doing that, but um, that actually, I think can be a useful way of coming up with, you know, a, a session idea. Mm-hmm. I think I wrote on my blog a couple of sessions ago, I was, I was really having trouble envisioning what might happen. So instead of sitting down like I normally would to write up a game, I just wrote a story about what might happen. Mm-hmm. And that gave me the inspiration for how to proceed. And, and it was kind of like playing the game ahead of time. Yeah. You know, and then, mm-hmm. okay, okay, well, they didn't do this, but that's okay. We can adapt because, you know, that's what we do. That was an interesting way of going. But um, I, I don't know, man, you know, in my mind, if somebody says science fiction role playing game, a traveler is what pops up. I, mm-hmm. To me, and I don't know if it's just the function of my generation, but in my mind, it is, it is science fiction role-playing. And I know there's a lot of other systems that people like, and I admit I'm ignorant of almost all of them. But, uh, you know, what D&D is to fantasy role-playing game, to me, Traveler is to science fiction role-playing. Mm, I, I, it, it would just like the only other system I think I would consider would be GURPS really. Mm. Yeah. And of course there's a GURPS traveler, <laughs> you know, um, it, it is pretty low impact to, to run, run traveler. So mm. and that's what I, th- I think that's the big appeal, isn't it? Really? I, um, I really enjoyed mucking about. I've been mucking about with it over on and off for months and months and months here and there, you know, muck about keep coming back to classic every single time i find it's it's got a nice simple straightforward solution for the thing you're trying to do it's pretty elegant um not that complicated really um and it all hangs together pretty well um so for me you know that that's been encouraging yeah there's a lot of you know uh comments complaints whatever about oh you know why are computers so big and starships (laughs) and things like that like well like man, this thing was written in 1977 or before. I mean, that's when mm-hmm. it was published, right? Um, just like, don't worry about it. <laughs> why is that? I don't understand why. I, to me, that's not a big deal. Like, well, the, this is, I mean, for me, that's the day when we're talking about the day when the head of IBM told the world that the world wouldn't need more than about six computers. You know, and that's <laughs> the, back in the day when computers filled a room. So, you know. Right. Uh, science fiction was this game was postulating computers that would fit in a starship kind of it's quite small starship actually and at the time that would have been considered like wow yeah yeah Um, Yeah. i mean there's a but if you look at science fiction i mean it's there's a lot of things that science fiction authors have missed like mm. i'm a huge fan of william gibson's sprawl trilogy it informs a lot of the really all the cyberpunk stuff that I've done in GURPS. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no cellular technology in there. Like, and those were written in the late eighties, I think maybe mm-hmm. something like that. You know, the great science fiction film, like Blade Runner, he uses a payphone. Come on. Mm-hmm. So this is one of those things, like one of my, my, that college roommate of mine who had all the games, he's one of the best game masters I've, I've ever played with and we were talking about this and his explanation for why why it's like that in the game it was so elegant and simple he said that's just the way it is Hmm. you know i mean this is another universe and just like listen this is a universe where cellular technology never happened Hmm. i mean you can accept all the rest of this crazy stuff Starflight, everything. Just accept that there's no cellular technology. Just accept that you know what computers are just big in this universe. What what is the problem with that? Mm-hmm. You know, trying to make it conform to what we know in hindsight happened. I don't see a lot of point in that. Now, if you're designing a game from the ground up, sure. But um, part part of it, I think, with travelers, just like. I'll admit it. Like there's a nostalgia value, you know, like, Oh, we're playing this game from 77. Yeah. Computers are gigantic and 
There's no lasers. I mean, there are lasers. There's no blasters. But there could be. Yeah, and I love the fact that um, the lasers have huge backpacks. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like a laser pistol, but you've got this kind of pack on your back with the energy. You know, um, it's great. It's I know, it's different, isn't it? It's... You know, sometimes um, having limitations uh, in a game can be a really good thing. I think it's like, well, yeah, a laser has a big backpack. It's not self-contained in a pistol. That that's a limitation. That's okay. You know, that's a challenge. Something for the characters to deal with, um, and it makes a laser really special too. Like mm. you know, um, most people are carrying around auto pistols and auto rifles, and somebody oh the guy up on the balcony is shooting a laser at us. That's a big problem to deal with. <laughs> Lasers hit easily. Actually, I just remembered, actually, I think back in the original, there is no laser pistol. There's no. a laser carbine, laser rifle. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's later, isn't it? I think it's pressure from the fans that actually ultimately gives this laser pistol. Because I remember the first time we ever used one, and that probably was Star Frontiers rather than traveler but there you go <laughs> i've i've never I, I don't even remember seeing a laser pistol in traveler and i'm sure you're right there probably is one but mm -hmm. again the structure of the game it's really not hard to fit something in mm. you know like if you wanted laser pistols you know okay you miss jump and you end up on a tech 16 world where they have laser pistols get one and it's not like it's difficult to fit those into the combat system mm. it's just a matter of finding one and you know buying it i and not agonizing over minute details of you know what what are its modifiers to hit again you know just use the same modifiers you did with the laser carbine but it's self-contained it's a pistol mm. and it's the same with with everything in traveler i mean we our old traveler ref had uh had a weapon that was uh since, since then I've, I've heard of this elsewhere but uh, a sword that was one molecule thick and could cut through anything, you know, mm -hmm. um, that doesn't exist in those books. He just did that. Mm -hmm. Why not? I think you want to put some, some numbers to it. Um, so it's not just, be, it's not just like, you know, the God weapon or something, <laughs> but yeah, why not do that? I think that's, that's all good. It's a great strength of, of this game, but it's not, if you're going to do that, um, you can't have players that get hung up on, well, that's not how it works, you know, and this, that's not in the game or that that deviates from canon or something. You, you just, everybody's got to be on the same page. All right. Then last question, really. Um, it's one I love to ask. We're, you know, Roleplay Rescue is all about getting back to the table. Have you got any tips for the person who's thinking about coming back to it? I mean, I think your gap was, what, 20 years, something like that? Yeah. 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 What would you say? I think one of the things for adults that really um, you worry about is your time commitment. And I told myself for years that I didn't have time to do this. The truth is I did. It wasn't a priority, mm. you know, and it, just, I don't know, it got to the point where I was like, no, I want this to be a priority. I miss this. These, my friends are here. We can do this. We can have a good time. So let's just make it happen. And don't worry about doing everything perfectly mm -hmm. um, because if you are going to game master, your players will make things happen. If you've got a, got a good group of players. Um, so don't agonize that much over details, just get in and start and see how things go too much planning. You know, you will just, you can plan forever and never do anything. That's a very popular thing in traveler. Actually. It's like, you know, some people just, I'm not putting them down. Some people just like to design ships. That's their, like tr for them, travelers designing ships. Mm -hmm. Cool. Go for it. But if you actually want to play the game, you just really have to make a little commitment to do it. And um, you don't have to kid yourself that you're going to play every week. You know, um, our goal is, is once a month and we, we don't make it that's okay. Like the, the guys know that the campaign is still on. We're not quitting. Mm. We just, we're just going to continue as best we can through all our adult problems. Mm, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. But yeah, I've enjoyed your show a lot. I, I enjoy um, on your, on your podcast. Um, you talk about uh, a lot of the mental health issues that people have and, and, and uh, how they affect their gaming life. Mm -hmm. 
and um, it's just a very interesting show because it's about more than gaming. It, it's kind of it's about how how you fit this really fun, beautiful thing into your life and and enjoy it, and also kind of preventing it from being another source of stress in your life. Like it should be a thing that like for, of joy, right? Like, mm. but it's man, it, you get into it. It's, it's hard. Like, oh my God, what am I going to do with my game this weekend? I'm so worried about it. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's tough, but I, it's one of the few, um, maybe the only podcast that I've, I've heard about gaming that really deals with those issues. I think it's important. Thank you. It's very generous of you to say, um, I have to say that I don't think it's easy listening for a lot of people, but um, those who do uh, get a lot of positives back on that. So it's great. And, and of course, in the end, you know, I'm talking from my experience as much as anything. So, Well, I think probably um, as people get older and they've, they've gone through more things and as, as losses in life kind of stack up, you, you, you appreciate all of that a lot more and have uh, a greater capacity to relate to it. I mean, the last few years have been hard for a lot of people. And mm-hmm. um, so I appreciate what you do. I think, I think it's um, a really valid, good thing to be talking about. And if somebody's not interested in that, you know, go listen to your 5e actual play or something. Yeah. Not everything has to be for everybody. No, I'm absolutely with that. Um, okay. Well, look, Bob, it's been great. It's been lovely to sit and talk to you. And, um, you know, to, to meet the voice behind that podcast, I keep listening to. So thank you very, very much for your time. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on. And I, I want to give a big shout out uh, before I go to my podcast partner, Jeff, who um, Jeff is, is the best. Um, he's very busy these days, but he is, he is awesome. And um, he's a genius. Jeff built his own R2D2. Oh, wow. Like he has a full size replica working, walking, talking R2D2 that he built. It's incredible. And the rest of the, my gaming group, shout out for being like so good, such good friends mm-hmm. and just such a pleasure to, to game with. So anyway, thanks for giving me the opportunity to praise them. You're welcome. Thanks, Bob. Catch you again soon. Have a good one. Big thank you once again to Bob Loftin for coming and sharing his thoughts. I'll stick the link to the Safeco podcast in the show notes and I really encourage you to check it out. Thank you once again to John from Tale of the Manticore for the Roleplay Rescue theme music. Thanks also to all the Roleplay Rescue patrons who support the show through patreon.com slash rpgrescue. Most of all, Thank you to you for showing up and listening. I hope that you found it interesting. We'll see you again next time. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. Game on.